0: God be the glory.
1: It's uh, very gratifying that uh, we're able to fill Dr. Falwell's original vision, which is to play at the very highest level.
2: Guys, I want to tell you, you're representing so many people today. You are living out what people started many years ago. You are walking on their shoulders,
3: their foundation. If you make up your mind that you leave this field today was absolutely no regrets that you'll remember. That you left it all out there and you come back in here and I gave it all. For Liberty University, my teammates, my coaches, we'll do it together for we can. For we can do all things through
1: Christ, Christ Jesus.
3: He strengthens us. He strengthens Each up. and every day. Each and every day. It may God. Let us fight.
2: All right. Alright, all right, Flames fans. We are 4-0. Oh. You're listening to the you Sea of Red podcast. My name is Chad Hassan, and man, we got a lot to get to this episode. We got a couple of interviews. We got a breakdown of the biggest game in school history. This week, your Liberty Flames take on the Syracuse Orange. Just listen to this. We are a road favorite at an ACC opponent. We get a chance to re- get revenge for a 24 nothing loss. Just last year, and we get a chance to beat Syracuse um, as a fan. You know, at the beginning of the season, they were the ones calling us out for testing protocols and and all of that. It was just kind of wild. So, huge game coming up this weekend. John and I break all that down about how it ranks in the as the biggest game in school history. Later on in the podcast, I don't want to delay much longer. Other than to say, let's go Flames! I cannot believe we are getting AP Top 25 votes. I cannot believe we are road favorite in an ACC school. And uh, it, it is kind of just surreal at this point. I mean, I, I expected this to happen, no doubt. But not this fast. Not three years removed from losing to St. Francis, Monmouth, and Charleston Southern. I mean, this is unbelievable where the the trajectory... I. No doubt John and I, at some point in the next couple of weeks, are going to do some research to try to find out if this is the most meteoric rise in all of college football history. There's 150 years of college football history. This might be the biggest rise of any college program. And it's your it's your favorite team, my alma mater, Liberty University, Go Flames. This is unbelievable. We're so stoked, and uh, the vibes all week are going to be about the history that can be made if we beat Syracuse. And then, as John points out later, next week is the biggest game in school history, and so on and so forth. As long as we remain undefeated, undefeated, these these games just get bigger and bigger. So, boy, what a ride it's been! Um, you know, preseason would have never picked us to beat Western Kentucky, but here we are, four and zero and a favorite to beat an ACC school. Rat Poison, Hugh Freeze calls it. Rat Poison being the favorite. He doesn't want his team seeing that. He has proven he can motivate, whether we're the underdog or the favorite, and have his team ready to play. So that's what we're looking forward to this Saturday. Again, biggest game in school history. A lot riding on this. A lot of momentum can be had. Um, So, yeah, I hope you guys – thank you so much for listening. We've had a blast doing this podcast and kind of interacting with the fans all all season. Um, I really, really enjoyed the fan engagement podcast a couple weeks ago, getting to hear from some of you guys. I've kept in contact with with some of the guys, and um, thank you so much for just uh, making this experience for all of us more fun. We're in this together. It's such a neat community to be a part of, and uh, I cannot again i'm in shock still i mean here we are I'm recording early in the week and i am still in shock over what is happening with these rankings and just being 4-0 and just the momentum it's it's caused around our program so buckle up it's going to be a fun ride so uh let's go flames and let's get into this episode all right we are joined by the creator founder, all things A Sea of Red, John Manson, John Rafforno, and uh, the momentum is kicking. Uh, How's it going, man?
0: Man, it's awesome this week. This is just exciting. Looking forward to getting up to Syracuse Saturday and uh, take in, you know, what, the biggest game in Liberty history?
2: Well, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about, is we're going to be ranking those games and talking about why this potentially is the biggest game in school history, but that did I just hear you say you are going to Syracuse?
0: Yeah, man. I uh, I, I was starting to say I, I twisted my wife's arm to let me go, but I don't think that's appropriate. I don't. I did not physically touch her. I just talked her into it. She said, "Yeah, sure. Have a good time." Awesome, man. What is that like? An eight-hour drive? Yeah, it's about eight hours. Go up Friday night and spend the night, and come on back Sunday morning. So, looking forward to it. Should be should be a blast. All
2: right, so we are 4-0. and We're receiving votes in the AP Top 25. What? And I mean, this is just, this is just, I don't, catastrophic's not the word, uh, but this is a monumental uh, staple in our program's history. And here we are headed on the road to Syracuse, and we're going to be a, a three-point favorite to try to go 5-0. and So that got me thinking. Let's talk about the FBS era. Are there any games that have meant more I mean, obviously leading up to the game where we had a chance to win, is there, is there any games that, that mean, have meant more to the program? And, uh, I don't think there are, but I would say that, um, well, let's just try to rank them a little bit. Uh, Who, who would you have? What would you have that would be comparable to this Syracuse game?
0: Yeah. As you mentioned, I think that the Syracuse game this week is far and above any other, just with what's riding on it. But you look back at last year, like getting to a bowl game, that's always the most important thing. So, you know, last year's season finale, regular season finale against New Mexico State at home, win that game, become bowl eligible. Um, you know, that's certainly got a rank up there. I would put that in the conversation. Um, I, I know you also, we talked about the Baylor game. Is that one that you would consider up in that list too?
2: Yeah, I would say just because of all the surrounding factors, I mean, obviously, we were a 30-point-some underdog. Um, Had we not won that game, you know, you could you could argue that, you know, Auburn or UVA or, or any of those games would have meant more than beating Baylor, um, but the fact that we won it kind of catapulted it up there, and uh, so, yeah, it, it definitely, I mean, the mon- the momentum that was on campus that day, that night when the players got back, I mean... Even though even though we had to win it for it to be important, we can't we can't dismiss that Baylor game as a huge uh, building block for this program. And uh, yeah, I just remember you know all the epic shots of Buckshot on the sideline. Kind of, I forget if he was flexing or whatnot, but it was awesome. And then I know that Ian has a picture of himself in Baylor Stadium in his office, but he's wearing the the red. Liberty colors and uh, yeah I know that that had to mean a lot for him going down there to Baylor in his first game wasn't that his first game as AD and he goes back to his former school where and just kind of goes down there and they get this shocking upset so it had to mean a lot for for Ian too and and let's not let's not pull punches here Ian being established at Liberty and really kind of maybe that gave him the vision of what this program could be and him being here is of of utmost importance to our success. So um, I think that that was very important. What other games stand out?
0: You know, and that, that's not the topic of this conversation right now, but that really is – that's something you and I have kind of talked off record about is, uh, you know, you know, of course, you know, Hugh Breeze, Richie McKay, they mean a lot to this program, you know, football program, basketball programs respectively. And we don't want either one to leave, obviously. But we've also talked about how, you know, Ian McCall is the much more irreplaceable figure in Liberty Athletics right now. Um, maybe that's something we can talk about in the future. But anyways, yeah, I agree with you about the Baylor game. And and a lot of that is, I think, because uh, because of the win, as you mentioned. I mean, if, if we lose that game, I'm, I'm not sure we look back on it with the same uh, kind of thoughts. I think, you know, like you mentioned, Virginia, Virginia Tech, even playing the first ever SEC game against Auburn. Those games probably had more meaning going into them than a season opener against Baylor. But, yeah, it, it had a lot of meaning. Um, it, we'd be hard-pressed not to mention the Syracuse game last year, You know, the season opener against a ranked team. We, it's easy to forget Syracuse was ranked uh, going into that game last year coming off of a bowl season. And uh, with Tommy DeVito at quarterback, Dino Babers at head coach, the things seemed to be trending in the right direction, and that was to open the Hugh Freeze era. Uh, at Williams Stadium, first ever Power Five program to come in. So that certainly meant a lot. Obviously, the performance didn't back it up. Um, But, you know, going into that game, there was a lot riding on that. And if Liberty was able to pull the upset, we would be, you know, talking about that one as the best win in school history.
2: Yeah, so I think we've listed four games. I think we got Baylor, New Mexico State last year, Syracuse, and then the bowl game. Um That's four games. That leads us to our number one biggest game in program history. And I guess we're kind of looking at this from a momentum standpoint, from just an exposure standpoint, from a recruiting standpoint, all of that. This game means everything for Liberty right now. And I know it's midseason. I know it's not a bowl game, but there are a lot of eyeballs on this game. Uh, So. John, I'll give you the first stab at it. What makes this game so important, and why is it the biggest in the FBS era for, for Liberty's program history?
0: Yeah, you, you mentioned the Cure Bowl last year against Georgia Southern. Obviously, that that's a big game and deserves to be ranked on this list as well, um, as mentioned. But yeah, I mean, this game, I mean, there's so much. And, and it's hard to kind of, to, you know, really put all the words out there, but um, you know, with it being in October, a midseason game, you know, you know, it, it doesn't have all those season ending type uh, implications on it. But, yeah, I mean, you know, for the we, we keep saying this every single week, I seem to have to tweet or write articles about this is the first time ever in program history. And it's just every week the program keeps getting elevated to a new level every week. Every time you win a game, the stakes get higher. So we're talking about this being the biggest game in school history. Well, I don't want to sit here and get ahead of ourselves, because that, that's what we do as fans. But if Liberty were to somehow win the game Saturday against Syracuse, then they play Southern Miss at home, will be a, a you know sizable home uh, favorite. If they were to win that game, get to 6-0, have a bye week, going in to play Virginia Tech here in three weeks, that would become the biggest game in school history. So it's like we just keep raising the bar uh, every season and even every week now under Hugh Freeze. And, and what he's been able to do um, in this program is, is in such a short amount of time is really remarkable. But, yeah, I mean, you know, receiving votes in the top 25, that, that puts a lot of it on. Also going to play in New York, um, you know, not New York City, but in Syracuse, there's going to be, like you mentioned, a lot of eyeballs on this game, lots of media attention, a lot of media coverage you know, so if Liberty's able to pull this win off, it's gonna, you know, kind of send shockwaves throughout the uh, college football uh, landscape.
2: Yeah. And, and I know that here's another reason why I think it's huge for this program is one, it's probably the first time we've ever been a favorite over a P5, uh, which is just in itself kind of just, just groundbreaking. I mean, the fact that, uh, Someone would favor us over an ACC team right now with the amount of recruiting. I mean, we only have a couple of Hugh Freeze classes. It's just kind of just shows that the trajectory of this program is what we all thought it could be. I mean, this is no this is no pipe dream anymore. We're, we're living in reality where we're going on the road to ACC opponents and we're favorite. I, that is that is that in itself makes this makes this monumental. I would say the second thing is because of the uh, the shutout last year. I mean, you know that these guys had have that on their mind. Uh, Hugh Freeze talks about it a lot of times. I mean, it was it was his home opener. I mean, obviously he wasn't down on the field, but he was calling plays and, it, and he gets shut out. I mean, that, that doesn't feel good. I'm sure he's been thinking about that for a year and a half. So, um, yeah, we got revenge, a revenge tour here to get kicked off. We've got uh, favorites at a, on a P5 school on the road. And then you know the ability to go five and zero. I mean, if we go five and zero, John, talk to us a little bit about what teams are still undefeated, who all's played, and just how impressive our four and zero record is so far.
0: Well, currently, as we're speaking, um, Liberty is one of three teams in the country that's four and zero. Actually, it's four; it's up to four now. So you got Liberty, obviously, SMU Southern Methodist, they're four and zero. Um, let's see, um, who else is one. Clemson, they're 4-0 with their win over Miami, and then also BYU, they're they're 4-0. So there's only four teams uh, in the country that are at that uh, mark. I think um, there's 15 total teams that have played. I think there's 79 teams, roughly 76, 79, somewhere in there, that have played a game so far this year, and 15 remain unbeaten. Now, some of those are 1-0, others 2-0, obviously, 3-0, 4-0. But um, yeah, so it's it's pretty remarkable. Liberty still stands here as being unbeaten, and, and if they were able to get through this week, I mean, they'll be standing there as as one of the final unbeaten teams. Um, certainly, that's before the Big Ten and Pac-12 start playing in you know Mountain West and all that. But um, that's quite a remarkable uh, feat for such a young program at the FBS level. So <laughs>
2: something else I just realized, John, if we win this game. We're bowl eligible after halfway through the season. That is insane to me that last year it took all the way down to the last the last win to get that sixth win. I remember Alan Gooch was up there from the Cure Bowl. We kind of had this idea that, you know, we were going to be in. It was one of those things where we were going to be one of the top eligible teams, even if we didn't win. But we definitely wanted the win to secure our spot type thing. But this year, we win tomorrow or Saturday. We are already bowl eligible. That weight is lifted and we can go out and kind of play a little bit more free on some of these ACC games where, you know, we don't have to kind of, we can kind of take our shots and try to win the game. So uh, just a ton riding on this. I know that we've used every adjective that means fabulous or remarkable, but this is unbelievable. Here we are sitting in 2020 with a second year head coach receiving top five AP. Top 25 AP votes, and we're a favorite on the road in the ACC. It still shocks me every time I say it.
0: Man, that's crazy. It, it gives me kind of chills to even think about it. And especially if you look back, I mean, it, it, we're, we're so caught up in like what's going on today and yesterday and, and things like that. We forget that just three years ago, 2017, yes, we got that win against Baylor uh, to open the season. But if you remember how the rest of that season played out, we finished six and five. We lost to St. Francis, Monmouth, Charleston Southern. Three years ago, we lost to those teams, all in the same season. And here we are, 4-0 and as an FBS team, like you mentioned, on the road, taking on a Syracuse team where Liberty's the favorite and is getting votes in the top 25. I mean, how, how can you not say that Liberty's the fastest-growing college football program in the country? And, you know, I'm – I'm kind of young in the grand scheme of things. When we talk about, you know, all of college football, you got, you know, 150 years of history, but has there ever been a college football team that has risen from where they were three years ago to where they are today that fast and that quickly? I would be hard pressed to to try to find someone else that's been able to do the same type of thing that we're talking about.
2: I mean, honestly, you might want to just start by looking at Hugh Freeze's <laughs> stops. I mean everywhere the guy goes, he just kind of flips the switch and and the juice gets going and, and the program just elevates. So I don't think I really realized how big of a, a pickup that was. I mean, I know we talked to Ian, you know, before the press conference even and or right after the press conference. And, you know, you could just see it. He was so excited talking about what the, the heights this program was going to go to. And I I don't know if I really felt it. I was still coming off of those 2017 losses. Just looking at our roster, thinking, you know, we're we got a tough road ahead. But how have they been able to do this? One other thing I wanted to point out, and I have said this on every episode so far, I believe, but you know, the foresight of Ian and Mickey and Hugh Freeze, who are I believe are the three that make our schedules. The foresight of those guys to kind of not play Notre Dame not play BYU, not pick up any more ACC games or P5 games, basically pick up a couple of FCS games and kind of some winnable FBS games. That was so huge. I mean, it was so important not to start the season with, you know, what we could have done is played BYU, I'm sure. I mean, they had four games scheduled when the when things kicked off, so we could have easily picked up a game there. But I just think that the the wisdom and the foresight to say, guys, if we can do this, if we can run the table and go four and zero, the momentum we will build will be so much bigger than just um, keeping it close or beating BYU. What are your thoughts on just how how they kind of mapped out this 2020 schedule and how it's playing out?
0: Yeah, I mean it's obviously gone gone great, um, you know. But but we also forget Liberty was a fourteen and a half point underdog at Western Kentucky, and I know I don't know what's going on necessarily in Bowling Green. They they can't seem to to get a win to save their lives, but they were projected to be one of the top Conference USA teams. And we were just talking a couple of weeks ago on this podcast about that being one of the biggest upsets in, in school history. Um, you know, I, I think if the two teams played again this week, Liberty Price favored by 14 points. So it, it's amazing how quick things can change. But, you know, the scheduling, we can talk about it all we want to, but also Syracuse, like, you know, getting them in this series scheduled, their fans are so upset about just playing Liberty. How much more do you think they'll be upset if they lose in the Carrier Dome to uh, to Liberty, right? You know, they, they don't like Liberty or anything that Liberty stands for. Um, so how much more sweet would that be to, to celebrate on their big S inside the Carrier Dome this year when they have no fans present? That, that would be a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, I know that it- – preseason there you had all the other stuff that makes it kind of even more a lot more juice going into this game as the preseason protocol stuff I know that we had a few quotes from freeze that kind of who who knew you know that kind of got taken out of context and then a few Syracuse beat writers ran with those and we're talking about how Liberty Liberty shouldn't be playing Syracuse because of our protocols and then they went on to the political rants and whatnot and it's just like you're right if we go up there and and we can play, and, and we beat them, that would be even more sweet for our, for our fans. So, John, just to recap here, biggest game in school history, not close. We're a favorite. I just cannot get over being a road favorite in the ACC this year to a team that we got skunked by last year, 24-0. The turnaround has been amazing, and uh, let's keep that momentum going. Chad, last thought.
0: Uh, we remember back Richie McKay and Liberty, this is back in 2019 season, so it was December 2018, just, just before the turn of the new year. Liberty goes on the road to Poly, to Poly Pavilion. Is that what it's called? That's New Mexico State. They were um, playing at UCLA. What's the name of their stadium? Anyways, they're, they're playing at UCLA. They knock off UCLA, kind of dominated them. That kind of kick-started the, the run to the A-Sun Championship. That got Steve Alford fired. Could Liberty and Hugh Freeze go and do the same thing at Syracuse this week? Ups, not really upset the Orange, they're favored, but knock off the Orange, could that lead to Dino Babers getting fired? Yeah, and
2: things are in turmoil up there in, in Syracuse land, and uh, I would love nothing more to go up there and get that victory. John, great stuff as always, and I uh, really appreciate it. Be safe up there in Syracuse. Looking forward to the coverage, and go Flames. All right, guys. I have with us Kyle Diarman. He is a um, offensive assistant and works with the quarterbacks. Um, Kyle, how's it going, man? And uh, it's exciting to be three and zero. Did you uh, think this was a possibility when the season started, and you were looking at the schedule?
1: <laughs> uh, thanks for having me, Chad. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's been an exciting start to the season so far. Uh, I think we got a lot of work to a lot of work to do. But um, it's good to be 3-0 and right here after three games. That's where you want to be, of course. So, I mean, looking at the schedule at the beginning, we knew it was going to be tough. Every, every opponent we were going to face is going to be tough, um, especially with the new offense kind of coming in and losing a lot of key players from last year. But happy to be 3-0 and for sure. So, um,
2: you may not know this. I, I, I failed to mention this earlier, but I remember the days before you played football, at Liberty, that um, you were a very talented intramural basketball player. Can you still can you still uh, play hoops? And uh, if I remember right, you had a, a a cousin that was pretty good too. You had a lot of family at LU, and you guys kind of run the intramural circuit for a while. Uh, you yeah,
1: still that play was basketball. The, uh, I, I still play basketball. I do. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not as probably quick as I am probably because I'm, I'm a little heavier than I used to be. But uh, no, I, I haven't played since COVID. Um, you know they shut down the basketball courts and everything, but there was a there's a group of guys that played in the morning in the off season. We'd do that, and um, just any time that I could go and play, I definitely would. But yeah, that was and at that time too, we were still able to play. Even when I was playing, we were able to play in the spring season of intramurals. We'd get teams together and and I, I, those were fun. I loved I loved playing intramural basketball back then. That, that was, was a fun times then.
2: So. I guess you have a pretty unique job. Um, I'm not sure how many how many alumni across the country get to work for their alma mater. Can you just talk a little bit about what it's like to be a coach at Liberty, but also be a graduate and kind of just how that all ties together and how sometimes your your fandom and your coaching kind of cross there. What what's that like for you? And and is it is it a cool experience or is it just kind of tedious at points?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's been, I mean, for sure at the beginning, um, back in 2013, which my which was my first season, um, you know, I was at that time uh three years removed or two seasons removed from playing. So there were still guys on the team that were there when I joined the staff. Um, and I was before I joined the staff, you know, I was coaching high school football in Alabama. So I was just locked in on Liberty Games as a fan and as a as an alumni, um, you know, just wanting them to be successful, obviously, and always rooting them on and cheering for them. And then coming over to this side too, um, you know, as you've gotten older, as I've gotten older, I think it's, I still have that love as an alumni, but it definitely does change as you join the staff and you become a position coach. And, you know, you're here for a few years. Um, Your mindset does kind of change a little bit. Obviously you want to be successful because, you're uh, on the staff but you also want Liberty to be successful because of your love for the school and everything that you know this football program provided me because if I if I never had walked on and you know was given the opportunity to play here I wouldn't be in the position that I am now so I'm extremely thankful for all those guys um, you know on Danny Rocco's staff and Turner Gill staff and, and now Coach Freeze for allowing me to you know continue on this path this coaching journey that I'm on I mean you know, my love for the school, um, and our football program, you know, I always want to see it succeed for sure. Very cool, man. Um, so can you give us your kind of, what is
2: your title? And I know you work with the quarterbacks, but what is your title?
1: Offensive quality control or analysts, they call them different things kind of all over the place. Um, but I work with the quarterbacks on a daily basis, just helping coach Austin really specifically. I work with coach Austin and um, just helping whatever I can do to help him prepare them. Um, so, you know, that's from – that's a, a, a litany of things that I can do on a daily basis for sure. So data analyst for the quarterbacks.
2: This, uh, this seems – and I know I pulled a little bit about that out of there, but the reason I'm going there is because the stats that Malik put up in the first two games were insane when you're charting this stuff, looking at this stuff, what is what is it that jumps off the page? I mean, from fans, what we're hearing and seeing is his decision making. I mean, knowing when to pull the ball, knowing when to throw the ball, um, and, and just it just seems like he has that innate ability, that split second that you need as an RPO quarterback. Is that kind of what you would boil all these stats down to is his just decision making
1: or is it something yeah, else decision, that decision making is the first thing that, that- You know, we talk to the quarterbacks about that's what they have to have. And Coach Austin harps on that all the time is decision-making, toughness, you know, and accuracy. Those are the things that he kind of hits on all the time. And Malik has those things. I mean, and Coach Brees is always telling him, hey, if one's not there, check two. If two's two's not there, run. I mean, he has that ability to make plays with his feet. And so when he doesn't feel like he has to force a throw, um, or make a play with his arm, you know, he can pull it, pull the ball down and run on, on plays that, you know, aren't necessarily designed for him to run, and it, you know, makes his stats go up because instead of instead of him forcing a football, it's not wide open. He doesn't need to force it, so take off and run. So, I mean, that, that for sure is the number one thing for him is his decision-making so far. These first three games have been very, very good. He's been able to take care of the football. Um, he just has to continue to do that, and I think he's going to be successful if he continues to protect the football and it starts with his decision making for sure. Um, You talked about accuracy and
2: toughness. I I, I have definitely seen the toughness portion, even when he yanked his elbow there, he kind of hopped up and, and uh, I definitely saw that, but the accuracy piece, I wanted to ask about, you know, there was very limited footage of Malik before he got to Liberty. I mean, he played in a few games at Auburn, But one of the concerns as a fan who has an untrained eye to these types of things, it felt like his accuracy wasn't there. Is that something he's always had? Or has he really just improved that much? Because in these first two games, he was very accurate, even being in the top 10 in the country in completion percentage. So it's like, is that something he's improved? Or is that something he's always had, just we didn't really know about it?
1: I think he's he's had natural arm strength. Um, He's really, really um, worked on his accuracy with Coach Austin. Um, Because it all comes down to fundamentals at the end of the day and, and how you, you know, being accurate is, um, you know, how he's finishing his throws and where his lower body mechanics are in his drop and all those things, you know, that Coach Austin harps on every single day in practice, um, Malik is really focused on because he, he knew that he wanted to see that improve the decision making. You know, he's a really, really smart kid, the toughness that comes natural to him because he's extremely tough. The accuracy is what he's needed to work on. And he's continued to put work in on the field uh, and off the field in the film study portion of it to know, you know, the certain pre snap looks he's getting um, their post snap rotation, stuff like that, where he knows where he's going with the football. And coach freeze and coach Austin do a great job with him um, on, you know, on the sideline in, in game day, just helping him see it, you know, coach freeze, Call's a great game, and Coach Austin does a great job on third down, knowing what Malik is good at, and, you know, let's stick to those plays and so he can be successful, and which in turn makes our team successful. You know, with Buckshot, it was a little bit different. You had a massive passing attack that he had one player who was just a dude. He could just, you know, when in doubt, throw it up to Antonio with, you know, with Malik, not necessarily like that. So he just, you know, continues to – you know, improve every day and just focus on his accuracy and think he's done a good job. So uh, talk about um, Ferguson coming
2: in and starting the game. What was the idea behind – I'm going to start over because I keep getting this call. So talk about um, Ferguson coming in on Saturday, getting the start. It was reported that he was told during warm-ups that he was going to get the start. Did did you guys kind of lead him up to, hey – you know this is what it's looking like or was he kind of really told 30 minutes before the game and how do you think he handled that do you think he settled in in the second half or do you think he was just um his nerves were fine the whole time he was just needed to kind of execute a little bit better
1: yeah I think he I mean we kind of went into the week you know like coach freeze Malik could have played and you know I think they made that decision and Uh, Chris kind of had the idea throughout the week in practice, him and J.B. both just taking the reps that, you know, this is what we decided to do. They're going to be ready. And Coach Austin prepares those guys, all three of them, like they're the starter. And if they get in, they need to execute the same exact way. So I think the I think it was probably just nerves for Chris at the beginning and, you know, his first game since being hurt against Richmond last year um, and missing a lot of time with an injury. And then, you know, battling his injury a little bit during spring ball and then continuing to try to rehab. So. You know, he's been healthy, and I think it was just the first-game nerves that guys have getting back into the swing of things. Um, but I thought he came in, and he did what we asked him to do, and, um, you know, he definitely uh, settled in a little bit later on during his time in. And, um, yeah, I thought he I thought he played well for being able to come in for Malik and, and do what he needed to do to get us to win. So one thing I've been uh, kind of questioning –
2: while I'm watching these games with nobody in Williams stadium, except for a thousand fans is how has that changed? I don't know if you're on the sidelines for games or not, but how has that changed the vocalness of the coaches? I know that if you're watching them in a packed stadium, they can get really hyped up and scream and yell and carry on and, and, you know, kind of either exciting or get hard on a kid and, and, and try to instruct them and coach them hard out loud. And I'm wondering if, Because there's no fans there, there's no noise to kind of drown that out. I'm wondering if that's kind of died off or or you can really hear it on the – if you're at Williams Stadium on Saturday, can you really hear the coaches a lot better?
1: Yeah, I think – I mean, our kids for sure can. I mean, especially, you know, when we played at Western Kentucky, you know, they didn't have any – there was no noise at all. They're playing some music like in between plays or whatever. Um, But when that music would die down, you'd be able to – you know, our coaches on the sideline can yell out and say, you know, hey, hey, hold on, hold on, move out, move out, or whatever, you know, like, and be able to communicate, whereas in a normal situation, that's not COVID, and you got the stadium packed with 20,000 plus, you can't communicate to that to those guys, you know, like, when I was coaching the receivers, I could communicate with the guy that was closest to me on the sideline, I could get his attention, or, you know, I can, I, most of the time I could yell out to Buckshot to get him to stop the play or whatever, if that's what we were trying to do. Um, but it's hard to communicate to those guys that are across the field. Um, but with no fans, they're able to see you a lot easier. They're able to hear you a lot easier, but it doesn't change the intensity that guys are coaching. I mean, guys are coaching them the same intensity as there's, you know, a hundred thousand as there's you know one thousand, so I don't think it changes the intensity at all. I think it gives everyone all the coaches for every team an advantage to be able to communicate out on the field um you know probably more so for us like defensively you know guys being able to, coaches being able to communicate and uh I think it's helpful i mean it's 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 sucks not having fans in the stands, but I think it's it's nice for those guys being able to communicate while a play is going on uh we got. One more question
2: here, and that's about um, the golf game of most of the coaches. I, know I follow along on Twitter. I see comments about, you know, who hits the long ball, who, who's a better golfer, who carries when you all have, t- have coaching events or when you all play together. Is there, some, is there a sleeper on the team, that on the coaching staff, that is a, a decent golfer that we don't know about? I mean, I know SJ and Coach Freeze are pretty no- well-known. They play yeah. golf. I know that you're out there. Yeah. Is there anybody unknown that we don't know about that can really play?
1: uh i mean matt bevins is a kicker so naturally because you know, <laughs> that's about the only other thing he can do is play golf and 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 kick the football so you know he always talks about he could play basketball but i've never seen him on the basketball court so uh no i uh, i think I mean like you know coach Aldridge goes and plays you know coach greg you get coach greg out there sometimes i will say the sleeper if you if you have a uh those of you that are listening, if you ever have a scramble team and you need somebody to hit the ball as about as far as anybody will, the Eric Ponio, our special teams analyst, he can hit the ball about farther than anybody I've seen it when he connects to it. So it's to be a scramble, scramble though, right? Like, yeah, it's got to be a scramble. It's okay. definitely going to be a scramble. So mean, SJ is consistent, you know, coach freeze, coach freeze. We can't even, I mean, coach freeze is on another level, so he can't even compare to us. So. You know we're like, we're like minor leagues. Coach Reed's like the big leagues, so we don't even get out there and try to compete with him.
2: Nice. Well, it's probably good that uh, you're at least saying that. You don't have a ton of time to work on your golf game right now anyway, so that's good, man. Yeah. Hey, Kyle, much appreciated on the time. Uh, we've always been a big fan of yours and uh, love what you do for our school and our alma mater, and uh, I think it's awesome that you're, that you're around the program, and uh, man, keep doing what you're doing, and uh, we much appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's a blessing to be here and I'm very thankful um to coach Freeze and to you know all the guys before him. Um you know, I love Liberty and I love love coaching here and love coaching football and it's has been a blessing for the last you know 8 years now to to be here. So, it's been great.
2: All right, we are joined by starting quarterback for your Favorite football team: Liberty University Flames. Malik Willis. Malik, how you doing, man? I'm good. How about yourself? I'm doing. I'm doing okay. So uh, we got a huge game coming up this week. Maybe one of the biggest in school history. Um, what's been the preparation so far? Are you guys. Uh, you guys all pumped up, or is it kind of just another game week? How do you. How do you go about such a big game week like this?
4: Well, you can't really. Treat any game week differently because uh, at the end of the day, you got to go out there and practice hard uh, in order to go out there and play hard for sixty minutes. You just got to take each game uh, separately and with the same amount of effort and enthusiasm. If we blessed to get on the field again. We got to go out there, and play to the best of our ability, regardless of who's after.
2: So, uh, this next question is something I've always wanted to ask a mobile quarterback. Um, back in my peewee football days they put me at running back for the first couple of practices i was a pretty good little basketball player never played football they put me at running back they gave me the ball i started running i was scared to death like the whole time i'm running i'm like don't hit me i don't want to get hit don't hurt me but then you watch you watch the commercial for uh, i'm sure you've seen michael vick's commercial with the michael vick experience where he's in that like roller coaster and he's like just having the time of his life running the ball i got to my question is, when you're running the ball, what is your mindset? Are you just having a blast trying to make people miss? Are you looking at a first down marker or are you like I was? Are you like, just get out of here. Don't get hurt. Just scram so they don't hit me too hard. What is going through your mind when you're on these like 15, 20 yard, um, you know, scrambling, broken plays? What, what is it that's in your brain while you're running?
4: So I don't really worry about it too. I don't think about it too much. I, I just try to take what the D defense gives me and move the sticks.
2: Oh, okay. So you're not you're not you're not running for your life like I was. So, what what last year when we played Syracuse, you're on the sideline, you're kind of have going through your transfer year there and uh you know, we got shut out and and didn't score any for that whole year. How hard was it to sit on the sideline knowing that you could help the team and Was that something that was tough for you to do, or was that kind of was like you knew you just had to sit out and you'd be out
1: there next year?
4: I mean, it was definitely tough in uh, the sense that you always want to go out there and help the team. But at the end of the day, I wasn't allowed to uh, be eligible right away. Like I said before, that was just God's way of telling me I wasn't ready. I mean, I had a lot of stuff to work on, and I still do. And I just wanted to take that time to get better and just work on being uh, very supportive of everybody else in that room and of uh, just being a leader without having to go out there and do stuff, just being the leader.
2: Talk to me a little bit about the fan base coming from Auburn where it's, it's War Eagle. It is, uh, it is a different, different level down there in SEC country, especially at Auburn. Um, coming to Liberty, can you just talk a little bit about our fans and, and what ha- have you seen from, from our fans that maybe is encouraging to the players? I mean, do you guys feel the love from the fan base? And what is your kind of experience being at a place like Auburn coming to Liberty? How can you compare the two? And, and just kind of what are some of the feelings about our fan base and how we're growing?
4: I mean, I appreciate our fans because I see them everywhere and they always represent and They always making sure they get to the game. and I see sometimes they mention on Twitter and stuff. They uh, just uh, with pr- wishing, putting prayers on our, on our guys and just sending love our way, and I appreciate that.
2: So if, if we're to line up, I've heard that Shadro Lewis is the fastest guy on the team. I'm not sure if that's still true or not. But if you lined up against Shadro in a 40-yard or even a 60-yard dash uh, and, and you had to win, let's say you had to win for, for whatever reason, you think you could beat out, beat out Shadro in a 60-yard dash?
4: Oh no, that's a good question. We might have to try that after the season over.
2: <laughs> is he still the fastest on the team?
4: Uh, I, I have no clue. I'm not on my team. <laughs> so he is uh, famous, that boy fast, that boy rode.
2: Nice. So uh, when you're uh, when you're in the huddle, and is there is there one or two play calls that just kind of you perk up and you're like, oh man, this is this is it. This is the one I love this is a touchdown if everything goes right is there a couple of play calls like that or is it pretty much everything that comes in you feel like could go to the house
4: that's how i feel everything any play could be a touchdown even though you're not calling it to be a touchdown you're calling it to you know what i'm saying you know to call, call that play to get a few yards here and there or to get a big game here and there any play could go to the house you never know that's why sometimes when we break those big runs, I try to go get a block. Maybe, it go, maybe that block secures it, and we go to the crib. So you just yeah. try to execute it to the best of your ability. All
2: right, last one I got for you is being from Roswell down there in Georgia, not too far outside of Atlanta, have you been taking any time to watch the Braves play? Are you really not into baseball, or uh, what's your thought on the Braves run this year? I've
4: been watching a little, little bit. I've been watching a little bit. The boys are playing good right now.
2: Really appreciate your time, Malik. Good luck this Saturday, and uh, go Flames.
3: This Saturday at noon, the Flames hit the road for the first time in three weeks as they take on the Syracuse Orange. It's the second game in a three-year run of both teams playing each other. Flames are coming off a great home win against Louisiana Monroe, where the Flames won 40-7, and the story was the special teams contributing to several touchdowns. No underdog status this week now, as Syracuse starting quarterback Tommy DeVito was injured in their last game at home against Duke, where they lost 38-24. The Orange are currently sitting at 1-3, with losses to UNC and Pittsburgh as well. For Liberty, they bring a six-game winning streak into this game, with very few problems when it comes to finding a way to score. We've got a couple of plays we think that will work out well for you. One, Depending upon where you find the line, which has shifted a couple times this week, you can get Liberty as the favorite anywhere from minus two to three and a half. And the total, which started at 56 and a half this week, has dropped all the way down to 53. We still like the over. If you can get it at 53, take it. We think it's a good option as Liberty has scored over 30 points in three of their four games and the least amount of points they've scored so far this season was 28 against North Alabama. For this week's Liberty Line, I'm Jared Brooks.